Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. The, the movie that now again I'm getting older and when I start talking to my college the college students that I'm teaching they're like I don't know what you're talking about but they have heard of Walt Disney okay so Walt Disney has a movie out there called The Fox and the Hound hmm. and The Fox and the Hound is a perfect example of what people picture a trap looks like that it has teeth on it but in reality there may have been antique traps in the very beginning of making antique traps that had teeth on them but you know, if you have teeth on it and you catch an animal by the foot who has a small foot, like a fox or even a coyote, the, the teeth would, would break the skin, possibly break the bone and the animal would escape, okay? So no modern trap has teeth on it, no? It, it's not even lawful. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton. This is episode number 93, No Modern Trap Has Teeth On It. Now, this week I'm going to be talking with a wonderful returning guest. You'll recognize him from just a couple weeks ago, Dan Lynch. Uh, just as a quick reminder for you, Dan is a wildlife education specialist and a deputy state game warden for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. He's actually retiring, but we won't get into that. What we're actually going to get into is trapping. Uh, this is going to be part one of what will eventually be a two-parter uh, talking about trapping. Today, we're going to focus mainly on the ethical and humane aspects of trapping and why trapping is important. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the controversy surrounding trapping. Uh, we're going to talk about how trapping is perceived by the general public and how that is completely opposite of what actually takes place with trapping. So we'll also talk about those rules and regulations and, and you know all of that kind of stuff as well. But uh, this is really a good starter conversation when it comes to trapping. Trapping is something that is effective. It's something that is very, very highly regulated. And as you will hear Dan talk about in Pennsylvania, super, super regulated, which is a good thing because it helps to make sure that things are being done correctly and, you know, we're not having any ill effects from it. So let's dive right into the conversation with Dan and learn a little bit about trapping. Before we keep going, a real quick question for you. Are you concerned with urban sprawl? Are you concerned with the threat of our increased human presence as put on wildlife and wild spaces? If so, an easy next step for you to try to help with this situation is to visit our Patreon page and become a monthly supporter. If you like this podcast, if you would like to help form a new nonprofit that helps combat and mitigate the effects of urbanization, visit patreon.com 
slash conserve the wild. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash conserve the wild. Go visit today and become a sponsor. Welcome back, everyone, once again. And, uh, well, we have a return guest uh, in pretty quick succession. And um, there's two reasons for that. The first time that this guest was on, he was awesome. A wealth of information. And I really enjoyed the topic that we talked about. And the other uh, reason is because he participates in an outdoor activity that I have had great interest in, but yet have never actually taken time to do. So I find this topic very interesting. And the guest today, as you heard in the intro, is Dan Lynch. Uh, Dan, we're going to be talking about trapping today. You are Mr. Trapper. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jason. I have to say that, you know, no, other the, the listeners, they're not going to be able to see you, right? This is a podcast, but we're doing this over Zoom. I can see you. You don't look like a trapper. When I think of trapper, I think of that like crazy long beard, uh, you know, probably hasn't bathed for months because they're in the backwoods, uh, you know, the the Daniel Boone style, that kind sure, of thing. Sure, sure. You don't yeah, look like a trapper. Not like that at all. No, no, not at all. I, I, I would think that I probably look like the norm of people that trap in Pennsylvania today or in North America today. I mean, it's not, um, you know, first off this idea that someone makes a living trapping when the season is literally three months long, it's almost impossible. So that's, that's not really, I, you know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of historical, but it's not necessarily what most trappers look like today because it's not something that they necessarily make a living at. Yeah, well, when we think about like myself thinking about like what a person looks like that's a trapper, and you're saying, you know, living, you know, making a living being a trapper. I mean, that was during a time when society was different. And really, more than anything, fashion was different. Um, Really, historically, trapping has been mainly fashion driven. Correct. I mean, those those big top hats that, you know, in the bowlers, those were made with beaver pelts. Um, we don't, uh, I don't see many guys walking around with top hats and and well, you know, if you, if you, you know, maybe not here in Pennsylvania as much, but, um, Stetson's a a Stetson hat, a cowboy hat is many of those are still made with beaver felt. So really uh, see, I, yeah. Oh yeah. And and then, and fashion maybe not necessarily in the United States, but in other countries, a lot of our fur in North America goes to other countries. So yeah, fashion is still, is, is definitely a part of it. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a little bit different. And, uh, and, there, and there are still people that make money trapping ne- necessarily, but, but they're doing it maybe for a nuisance wildlife control, something like that. That's a, that's a really big business. Yeah. And I'm sure we will get into that, but first, sure. uh, the first thing we got, I feel like we need to talk about is how you got into trapping. Like, like okay. I said, it's something that I'm interested in. Um, but, it's not something that anyone in my family or any of my friends had ever done. I do have a coworker now that just started trapping, I think maybe two or three years, uh, just honestly for him, for something to do uh, uh-huh. whenever he you know, can't be hunting. So why, how, how did you get into trapping? Okay. Well, um, I definitely started when I was about 12 and um, kind of on my own. Uh, my, my father had done some trapping, some muskrat trapping. He told me about it, but he was a, um, 
a high school teacher and a football coach. So pretty much the whole fall and winter, he was pretty busy doing that kind of stuff. And I just kind of started doing it on my own and um, read some different magazines and ended up you know, going with a buddy and we were very unsuccessful for the longest time, but we knew the critters were out there. We would see their sign. We just didn't catch them for a while. And I, I think that's that's kind of what sparked my interest in doing it. You know, it's it's not necessarily about catching critters. Sometimes it's simply about being out there. And I love to read animal sign. I mean, I just think that's, you know, it's just fun to do. And I think that's one of the main reasons that I really like it. And I enjoy teaching others about it because it's, uh, you know, most of the time when you're trapping, you don't see the critter that you're going after. You're, you're setting on sign or setting in, an, in a habitat that might be, you know, one suitable for whatever animal you're going after uh, and, and also helping people. I mean, that, that's how I get most of my places to trap is people have a concern about something. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I started very young. Um, and, and I certainly don't make any money doing it or anything like that. I know we'll talk about that, but it's, uh, I just, I just enjoy doing it. Well, you know, I find that anytime I hear someone say that they started doing something on their own, um, without sort of that older mentor help, uh, whether that's hunting or trapping or playing a sport or, you know, any mm -hmm. drawing, any of that kind of stuff. I, I'm always really impressed by that because, that's an intimidating prospect to decide. I'm just going to do this. And when you're <laughs> typically when people are, are unsuccessful for an extended period of time, and these days an expended extended period of time might be just a couple of weeks, uh, mm -hmm. they tend to give up. So that's, that's impressive. Not only did you and, and a buddy sort of start on your own, just something that you guys wanted to do and, and that you keep doing it. Uh, the first, the, the next question, I guess then is why do people trap? Why do you trap, you know, people in general? Sure. And be, but before you answer that, one of the reasons why I have thought about trapping uh, or starting that is because I feel that to become a good trapper, you have to develop very good woodsmanship skills. You mentioned reading sure. sign, not being able to mm -hmm. see the animal. Um, you know, you're just putting the trap down based on the sign. And I feel like that is a huge woodsmanship skill, right? I mean, I, as a hunter, read sign constantly. But if I'm, you know, let's say archery hunting, and I'm 20 yards off of, you know, where that deer, or even rifle hunting, I could be 50 yards off where I think that deer is going to cross, there's still a chance that I can, you know, take a shot and be successful sure. hunting. If you're even inches off with a trap, <laughs> you know, you you're, there's sure. a good chance you're going to be missing it. So I feel like woodsmanship skills would, would, you know, the development of that would come into a lot of play, but sure. you know, why, why is it that you trap? Why is it that people generally will either start or continue trapping? Gotcha. Well, you know, so um, there, there are people out there who think, well, people trap for money or, you know, you know, sport and all that kind of good stuff, but that's not, that's not why I trap at all. Um, I, I enjoy being out in the woods. I do a lot of hunting, but I probably do more trapping than hunting. And everywhere I drive, when I drive down the road, I am always looking at on people's property and thinking, well, if I was a, if I was going to trap coyotes there, that's definitely a good spot right there. You got two fields coming together. You've got all the, a little swale and everything. I'm always looking 
for that. It's just in my head. I'm constantly looking at that. Always looking on the road to see what's laying dead on the road. You know, people, people are like, they don't really think about that. I do that in, in my trapping area. If there is constantly a place where a raccoon or a fox or muskrat is being hit on the road, that is a pretty obvious sign that says that's where all those critters are crossing. And some people are like, oh, it's just a raccoon. But if I see a raccoon laying there five weeks in a row, uh, it's pretty obvious that's where they're crossing. So th that's just kind of how my mind works uh, when it comes to that kind of stuff. But, you know, a lot of the times when I'm trapping and is that I'm literally helping somebody out. Uh, we've got so many people nowadays who have free range chickens. Okay. By the way, I love free range chickens. Um, and so does every critter out there. Love for, you know, I have chickens. I keep them in a barn because I actually want them to live. If you have free range chickens, it's simply a matter of time. You know, you can have a dog out there that's allegedly going to protect them, but eventually, you know, those chickens, they go in the tall grass, they're done for. I mean, they're, they're very easy to catch from foxes, raccoons, mink, birds of prey, you name it. I mean, they're, they're going to get them. And then people will call and they'll be like, you know, is there any chance, any way you could help me out? Uh, I've got foxes or they don't really know what it is. So many times I'll go there and I'll put a wildlife camera up and We'll show them exactly what it is that's eating, you know, pulling a chicken out the legs down through a cage or something like that. That's the raccoons are notorious for that, but some animals can't do that. They can't get their paw or their mouth up in there. And they, until you show them a picture of the animal doing it, they had no clue what it was. And, you know, sometimes it's simply a matter of putting some up, some fencing up. You don't have to trap anything. You just have to protect the livestock that you have. So sometimes I just help people out that way. Um, and again, I, I do it because I enjoy being outside. Um, the trapping season starts mid-October, goes till the end of February. And um, I just, we have a bunch of different animals that we call fur bears in Pennsylvania, and I enjoy trapping them. And I do the whole thing. So I, I trap the animal. I've learned to skin them and stretch them and dry them and sell them or get them tanned. I give them away as gifts, normally to the landowners who allow me to trap, I'll give, you know, a fox or a raccoon or a coyote or something that I've caught on their land to them. And they use it as a con conversation piece when people come to their, their house. They're like, oh yeah, you know, Dan caught this, fo this fox right here on our property. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's, I think it's important that we explain to people why people trap and, and to talk to people about trapping is, is really important. There's some key messages if you want me to kind of go yeah, into, into why, why it's important. So first off, the, the kinds of critters that we trap are abundant. So none of the fur bears, and these are the animals that we trap in Pennsylvania, none of them are endangered or threatened. They're abundant. Um, and regulated trapping, which is what we do. So, you know, we don't call it recreational trapping. We don't call it sport trapping. We call it regulated trapping, meaning it's got regulations. Regulating trapping does not cause wildlife to become endangered, and no animal populations in the U.S. have become endangered or extinct due to regulated trapping. As a matter of fact, in some instances, our state and other states have used trapping to bring a species back. Okay, one that wasn't here, one that was here, and then it's gone. We call it extirpated. So, in a good example, would be otters, fisher, and beaver. Those are those are three fur bears that we have that. We basically wiped out at the turn of the century and we wanted to bring them back because they were native. And so we went to other states 
and ask those state agencies, can you get your trappers to trap some of these critters so we can reintroduce them back into our state? And now we've got beavers all over the place. All 67 counties have beavers. Otters are, are in most and fishers are in a lot more than where we just released them in the North Central. Um, they're here in Berks County where, where I'm from right now, we've got fishers. And uh, so that's kind of important. Yeah, so we actually, um, I'd say maybe two times a year, um, I will actually get pictures of uh, a fisher or two on our uh, wildlife cameras on our property in Jefferson County, in northwestern yeah. Jefferson County, which is, sure. it was cool the first couple of times to see it. It's still cool when I see it. Um, I will say some of our turkey numbers have dipped a little bit um, because fishers mm -hmm. do prey on um, the nests of, of turkeys. So, you know, there's, there's that whole good and bad sure, um, type sure. thing. It's a little more natural right in that yeah. area now mm -hmm. um but one of my favorite stories of using trapping to sort of bring back a species to an area where there's none is uh when when beavers were trapped and then put in the box on planes flown out west and dropped from the airplane in the box with a terribly uh wonderfully engineered uh box that once it you know, hit a sort of certain height, a parachute went out and then, you know, box landed nice yeah, and gently. The, the door cool. is opened. And then that's how they repopulated uh, beavers in a lot of areas in the West. That's in remote areas in the West. That's well, yeah. And, and impressive. Not only, right. Not only were they repopulating them, but they were using those beavers to help create habitat. The, those beavers were going to dam certain places up. They were going to create wetlands in areas that provided habitat for lots of other species. It's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so the kinds of wildlife that are, are abundant. And then what's also important is that trapping is managed through uh, scientifically best based regulations that are enforced by game wardens. So that's really important. People need to know that, that, you know, you, you don't just get a trapping license and go trapping for whatever you want, whenever you want. There's, there's very strict seasons and and I've trapped in other states and Pennsylvania has probably some of the most restrictive trapping laws and regulations that we have. You can do it. You just need to follow the rules like any other thing that you do, driving a car, there's rules and regulations. Um, so that's really important. Um, so we restrict things by the species. So you're only allowed to trap certain species, the seasons. Okay. And, and when I said trapping season starts in October to the end of February, that's not for all species. So for instance, like a mink and a muskrat, that's like the, the beginning of November to the, be, to the beginning of January. So it's a very short season. Those are all these seasons are designed so that you're not trapping the young of the year. These are animals that can be trapped that are able to live on their own now. Okay. So it's, people need to, to understand that too. This is not, this is not nuisance wildlife that I'm talking about right now. This is during the, the fur bear harvest season. So the animals are adults for the most part. They're, they're able to live on their own. Um, another thing is that the agencies like the Pennsylvania Game Commission were continuously reviewing and developing rules and regulations based on new research. So there's, there's research that's done through the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is called AFWA. And AFWA has what we, what we call best management practices. Now, you've probably heard of BMPs for other things in business and things like that, but trapping has BMPs as well. And a lot of people don't know that, but they have tested over 600 types of traps 
on 23 fur bearer species in North America. So in Pennsylvania, we have 12, but all over in the, all of North America, so the United States and Canada, there are 23 critters that could, that are called fur bearers that you could trap. And 600 plus trap types have been tested on these various species. And the idea behind BMPs, when they first started coming out, trappers were like, oh my gosh, now the government's gonna tell us what trap we can use. Not the case. What we did is we've actually used trappers in the process. So let's say Jason, you were a trapper and you were a, a well-known fox trapper. So maybe you would be invited to be part of the BMP trapping process. And what would happen is a someone who's hired to do the testing would go along with you every day on your line. So you would be trapping on your line, wherever you trap. And the you would make whatever set you were gonna, and, and what we put a trap in the ground, we call it a set. So it's a little confusing sometimes. The word set is used two different times in trapping. One, when you set a trap, when you actually open the jaws and put it in and set the trap. And then two, once you put it in the ground or in the water or wherever you're gonna put it, that is called a set. Okay, so I gotta be careful, you know, that I just start talking and people are like, was he just said set twice, but that's that's it. So this this person would ride along with you maybe for a month every day when you would check your traps. And here's the deal. On the first day, when you would drive along, the only thing you wouldn't know is which species, which type of trap he or she was gonna hand you. It was a rand, it was a, it was a just they would reach in the box, they'd pull out a trap and hand it to you. So it would be the type of trap used for, let's say, a fox, but they were testing the different brands of traps. And then every animal that's harvested, nice way of saying kill, every animal that's harvested, then they would uh, bag that animal and that animal would go for a necropsy with veterinarians to see did the trap cause any type of foot damage or anything like that. And then those traps would be raided. And then the state still didn't say, Jason, well, you have to use trap A, B, and, and G. It would say, if you're going to go trapping for fox, these 50 traps were tested. And this is how they rated, depending on how the chain was, how the jaws were, all that kind of good stuff. So to be a, if, if I was going to be a, a super reliable trapper, I would want to know. I'm not going to just go buy the cheapest trap I can find out there, go to a yard sale. I want to know what trap is going to be the most humane and ethical for the species that I'm going after? And all the testing has been done. They spent over $10 million on BMP trap tests. Yeah, $10 million. That's, that's a lot of money. So you could go online. You literally can Google BMP traps and all 23 species will come up and it, it breaks down every single trap and how they were used for all the species. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's that, that's impressive that, you know, that a, an organization that people decide, you know, hey, we we're taking this so seriously that we want to not just help the the trappers, right, by basically creating a, a rated list of how good each trap is and, and what it what it how good it is for the intended species you're you're going to use it for. But then also, you know, what's best for those animals? Um, and, and, you know, you're, you mentioned in there, you know, setting a trap, a, a foothold trap and um, trying to find traps that are humane and ethical and all that, that makes me think of what I feel like a lot of 
non-trappers and definitely a lot of non-outdoorsy type people think of when they think of traps are the big circle trap that has these very sharp pointy triangle shaped teeth all around the edges and the idea is that those teeth would like dig into the you know the leg of that animal just above the paw um and that's the that's the trap we're using right that i mean that's what you see in um in cartoons and in movies Um, i'm pretty sure they have that trap in in the movie open season which is one of the worst movies in in, for kids in my opinion but that's a whole nother subject i I got one better for you on that so okay the, the the movie that now, again, I'm getting older. And when I start talking to my college, the college students that I'm teaching, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but they have heard of Walt Disney. Okay. So Walt Disney has a movie out there called The Fox and the Hound. Hmm. And The Fox and the Hound is a perfect example of what people picture a trap looks like, that it has teeth on it. But in reality, there may have been antique traps in the very beginning of making antique traps that had teeth on them. But you know, if you have teeth on it and you catch an animal by the foot who has a small foot, like a fox or even a coyote, the, the teeth would, would break the skin, possibly break the bone and the animal would escape. Okay. So no modern trap has teeth on it. None. It, it's not even lawful. When I, when I show people, and unfortunately in a podcast, I can't show anybody the trap, but when I show people the traps that I use, they're like, well, where are the teeth? I'm like, well, there aren't any teeth. As a matter of fact, the traps that I used um, have many modifications on them connected to those BMPs that makes the trap that I use expensive, but it, I can use it right out of the box because it has all of the modified features on it that provide the, the, the humaneness of holding that animal's foot. And, and we, you and I both said the correct terms. It is a foothold trap. Is not a leg hold trap, doesn't catch an animal by the leg, catches them by the foot. And if you picture your dog, lots of people have dogs, picture your dog's foot, they have a heel pad and they have four toe pads. Now your dog does have five toes, but the fifth one, if it's still there, is a dew claw that's up high. And wild animals have the same. Foxes and, and coyotes all have five toes, but they, the trap closes and it either closes beyond in behind the heel pad or behind the toe pads and they can't pull out. It's that simple. Now, when I show people traps, the last thing I would ever do is put my hand on a trap and say, gee, that doesn't hurt. Because the people who do that, and I've seen it done in the past, you know, they're, they're, you have a, an adult human puts their hand in a trap. We don't trap any animal with a paw as big as our hand at all. So you'd have to put like one or two fingers in. Now, that's the same thing as saying, like people go, would it hurt? Well, does grabbing an electric fence hurt? Pretty sure it does. And I don't need to do it to find out that it hurts. So yes, this is a steel device with, with strong springs and levers. And the idea is to hold something like a coyote that might weigh 40 pounds. And it might have to break through the snow or the dirt to get up and catch it. So it is strong and it does hurt. But I've caught all my fingers and my thumbs. I say some bad words when it happens and I get out of it. But you know, you, you, you try to teach people how to do it so that that doesn't happen. But obviously, if you do it a lot, you know, it, it might. But it's not designed to break your fingers, cut your fingers, or anything like that. Most of the jaws that people on the, on the trap, which is the two things that close, are either laminated, which means they have an extra piece of metal on the top or the bottom of the jaw to provide more surface area 
that touches the foot. So if you just picture taking your two fingers and putting them together over somebody else's finger, like those are the jaws coming up. But if you were to take two fingers and bring them up, you have more surface area and it provides a more stable catch to the foot. So my, the jaws of the traps that I buy are, um, are made in such a way where they actually have, they're actually molded to be double wide already. So they're, they're not necessarily laminated. Um, they're called cast jaws. So they're already like maybe a quarter inch to a half inch thick as opposed to an eighth of an inch thick. And all these modifications, it's interesting. All the modifications are done by trappers. Like agencies don't create modifications to trap. Trappers are always trying to find the best trap to hold the critter. So that animal, if it's like all footholds are designed to be a live restraining device. The animal's there in the morning. You then can decide, are you gonna dispatch it or are you gonna let it go? And you can do that. Um, and we, we, we do that for research all the time. We will catch an animal that we wanna put an ear tag on or a radio transmitter on with a foothold trap and then let them go. I mean, it, it happens all the time. Um, and, uh, but, but you're right. People don't, they don't see it. You know, like I usually ask people if they've ever seen a fox and a hound and most people in the group raise their hand. Have you ever trapped? Most people don't raise their hand. I'm like, have you ever set a mouse trap? Most people raise their hand. And I say, well, then I guess you are a trapper. And then they're like, they laugh and I'm like, well, you are a trapper. Like, but you're using a killing device. Like that's not, the mouse isn't caught by his foot. He's, he's whacked. He's caught by a bar that comes over and hits him in the back of the neck, which is exactly what our body gripping traps are. The animal swims through them or tries to go through them and gets through. And it's just a larger mousetrap that comes and immediately holds them down. And within about 30 to maybe uh, 60 seconds, the animal asphyxiates. So animals that swim like muskrats and mink and beavers, they do not drown. They, they don't drown. They don't take water into their lungs. They asphyxiate, but it's very, very quickly. And normally they, the animal, you know, it sounds a little gross, but it's dislocated. So the animal is not even aware of what's going on. And we try to harvest animals and be as humane and ethical as we can possibly be. Um, and, uh, you know, most trappers that I know are like that. Um, that's, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, every, everything you're saying, you know, I, I take as a hunter and think, yeah, I'm doing the same thing, right? Like, um, I, I don't feel like I'm a gear guy. I'm not the, there's a lot of gear, you know, gear guys out there, lot, sure, the, you know, every sure. year buying the latest and greatest. Um, I'm not, I'm not doing that. What I'm doing is I'm finding what works best for me to be the most humane and the most ethical. And once I find that, I tend to keep going with that same, right. you know, product until, it doesn't work as intended, or I find an issue and see something else that might fix that issue. And then, you know, I go with that. Um, you know, so hunters, trappers, we're, we're in the, we're in the same, same boat with, with a lot of this stuff. Um, all right. So you mentioned there's 23 different species. You've mentioned some of them in Pennsylvania. We don't have all 23. Um, no. What are the ones in Pennsylvania that we can trap? Okay, so there's 12 of them in Pennsylvania. We have foxes and coyotes, and with the foxes, you have reds and grays, but I'm counting that foxes as one. So it's foxes and coyotes. There's raccoons, possums, skunks, weasels, okay? Mink, 
muskrat, bobcat, beaver, fisher, and river otter. Those are the animals that you can trap. Okay, my first question is, we have muskrat in Pennsylvania? Oh, we have lots of muskrat in Pennsylvania. Sure. Really? It's okay. probably the number one animal that's trapped is a muskrat. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I can I can 100% say that I personally have not seen a muskrat. I may have seen some, I guess, thinking about it, I maybe have seen some sign that would have sure. been a muskrat and just not realized it's it. It's slight. It's slight. I mean, that's one of the things that I love to take people along ponds or streams and show them once you see the sign, especially let's say if you have a pond or if you, if you, if you golf, okay, I don't know if you golf, but if you golf and you go to a golf course, they usually have lots of problems with muskrats because they, they create this incredible habitat. They have a bunch of ponds and then they mow short grass all the way up to the edge of it. Well, you may not see the muskrat, but any rock that's exposed along the bank, you will see these tiny little green turds sitting there on the rocks because they like to defecate that's part of their sign. So they're leaving a, a signpost, a, a signal to other muskrats, this is our territory. And they're very territorial. So they defecate on exposed rocks. And then what you'll see is you'll see spots where little tiny slight trails coming out of the pond onto the fairway. And it's a, it's a mowed strip. Like they mow the grass down and that's why they're very easy to trap. You can put a trap right where they come in or out of the water and they're caught just about every time. And then of course they, they leave tiny little holes. So they, they're bank dwellers normally. They will build, uh, they'll dig into the bank which is what causes the problems to people. If you have a pond and a stream next to it they will excavate from the pond into the stream. And they will, unfortunately they don't know what they're doing. They're draining their own habitat but they do it all the time. And so, they can be a problem that, you know, that's one of, that's the fourth thing. I didn't really get to, 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 to bring that up, but the fourth key message is that trappers provide many benefits to wildlife and to people. So people have muskrat problems or they have, you know, the fox eating the chicken thing. Or if you're a farmer and you have calves and or lambs being born out away from barns, like out in the, in the woods and coyotes, once they get, you know, once... They won't eat the cattle all year long, but they know when they're calving. And when they're calving, they can be, especially a, lamb, a sheep that has multiple lambs. So they have a lamb, then they clean it all off. I have sheep, so I know this. They walk away to have their second lamb and that other lamb gets eaten. And, and you just chase sheep, if you've ever done that. They all run into the corner and they all bunch up and you know they, they're easily eaten by critters. Not that coyotes are always the one that do it. Sometimes it's domestic dogs that people think are coyotes that are doing it. But those kinds of things, trappers can provide a benefit to, you know, uh, people in Pennsylvania. And, you know, you think about endangered species. So lots of times critters that are endangered, like birds, like piping plovers, things that like a nest on a beach, anything that nests on a beach is a trouble because A, humans like to be on the beach. And then if not humans, they, you know, they'll take a little section of beach and they're like, okay, this is for wildlife. Well, guess what? Every bird and or sea turtle or whatever is gonna nest right there. And coyotes, mink, raccoons, crows, they're not stupid. They know all of that. And, and critters will sit there and just pick them off one at a time. So they'll get trappers sometimes that are hired by you know, the federal government or state government or whatever 
to trap critters in that general location at that time of year to try to cut down on that. So we're providing benefits to endangered critters by trapping critters that are abundant. So that's, so I just wanted to get that in. Those are the, those are four key messages that normally work, normally explain it a little bit better to people, you know, because anybody who thinks anybody makes money trapping, you don't, you have to understand what is your time worth? I mean, I know what I get paid per hour when I work, but I spend a great deal of time trapping. I get up during the trapping season when and I'm, I'm working, I get up around three o'clock in the morning. I get back around six so I can shower and whatever and go to work. At the end of the day, when I get home, whatever critters I've caught, I have to take care of. So I have to skin them, stretch them, dry them, all that kind of good stuff. And some of those animals are a two-day process. All canines are a two-day process. You skin them, you keep them skin side out for a day, and the next day you turn them fur side out. And so it's a lot of work. Then you have to ship them somewhere. You have to pay to get them shipped, pay to get them brought back, and then you have to figure out how to sell them. And if you somehow think you've made money off of that, you are sadly mistaken because you're, the season's too short, Jason. You can't, you couldn't do it. But if you had a permit and you trapped for people and removed nuisance beavers for a township or whatever, then yes, you obviously there's many people who make money trapping, but not during the trapping season. We just, not only that, when you think of, if you, you know, the fur uh, prices right now are, are very, very poor of the past eight or 10 years. I mean, maybe about 12 years ago, I might've averaged $49 for a red fox. The past five or six years, I've averaged about $4 for a red fox. So, and it costs $11 to get one tanned, and then it costs $20 to ship and $20 to get back. And then you try to sell a red fox for $100 and people go, I'm not paying $100. You know, realize if you sold it for $100, you, you might've made $8 on it. And so people, and, and, you know, but that's not why I do it. That's not why most people do it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't think about, you know, um, factoring in time spent, uh, as you said, no. in, into that, no. you know, what's, what's your time worth? If you, you know, all that time you spent and you're going to clear $8, uh, on something, uh, you know, you break it down and, you know, say like, okay, you know what, here, I have a job for you and I'm going to pay you 75 cents an hour. That's um, exactly. No right. one's going to be <laughs> no doing one's gonna that. Do that. That's right. So here's another thing that, that people like to do. And, and I do this myself. So I like to make my own bait and lure and try to catch something off of something. It's like tying a fly. I could go buy a fly at a store and go fly fish and catch trout. It's completely different if I tie it myself and I do it. So I use some of the animals, especially beaver. We, we eat beaver as well. It's delicious. But in some places, I'm catching them in some kind of nasty water. And I decided I'm not eating those critters. If you live in a landfill, I'm just not eating you. I don't care how clean the water looks. But I will take that beaver meat and I will um, cut it up and I will make my own canine lure with it. I will also collect glands. So beaver glands, the castor glands on a beaver are about anywhere from 80 to $100 a pound. The beaver pelt is worth about $4. So, and it takes about, takes me about 10 beavers to get a pound, but those glands have to be dried. So the, the gland itself um, looks like, uh, it looks like the 
if you've ever seen a picture of a brain, a human brain, it's, it's gray and squiggly and all that kind of stuff. And it's wet when you take it out and you have to hang it and you have to dry it. And then I dry them for about two weeks. I put them in the freezer. When I collect enough to ship them to a, a trapping company, a lure company, they, that's what they, they're buying your gland. And so then you have to thaw them, put them in a particular type of bag so that it won't, they won't mold and ship them. And they will pay you sometimes 90 to $100 a pound for that stuff. And so there's a lot to it other than just, you know, in the skulls, I clean, get the skulls cleaned. I give them to schools, give them to friends. Um, there's a lot to it. People, people get into doing that and just teaching people about processing an animal. I mean, we do it all. I do it all the time. Yeah. And, and that's where I get hung up with trapping. I, I feel like you and I are alike in the idea of sort of the beginning to end, you know, sort of taking the entire process into your sure. own hands. And um, I look at, okay, there, there's time involved in learning how to trap. Then there's time involved in actually trapping. But then there's also that time involved with doing everything else with that animal afterwards. Um, and, you know, between um, my work schedule and then mm -hmm. the hunting that I do that I'm very passionate about uh, and some habitat work that, that I do as well. And then now uh, being a new father, it's like, okay, can I really spend all this extra time doing you know, uh, another so I have, activity. I have your answer for you. The best way to start out is to go with somebody and don't try to do it all at one time. You know, if you focus on one critter, let's say you go with somebody and you, you, and your goal is to catch a beaver. So you catch one beaver and you don't have to do all of the whole process at one time. You have to skin it right away, but you can fold the hide up and put it in the freezer and wait. I do that all the time. I don't do all of that at one, one shot. I, I, all of my raccoons and beavers need to be fleshed. They all have a lot of fat on them. So I fold them all up and I put them in the freezer until I have time. And then I thaw them and make a mess in my garage all in one or two nights. And then, you know, you, the best way is to just go with somebody who is ethical, obviously, and who's going to do things the right way, but they can teach you. And in the end, I mean, you know, you, you focus on like an animal, like a beaver and you flesh it, you stretch it, you send it away, you get it tanned. And then you learn how to put it on a hoop from, let's say, some branches from a tree in your back backyard. You've got that as a conversation piece. I mean, forever. That the thing will last forever. And that you know, that's one way to do it. Where, or you just go along with somebody on their line and help them. And and then you get a really good idea just how much work is involved. And you know, with trapping, it's every day. Once you decide to set your traps, this is a commitment you've made. You can't just say, you know what, I'm just not going tomorrow. That's A, it's unlawful. You have to check your traps uh, once every 36 hours, but every trapper I know checks them at least once every 24 hours. And so it's a commitment and people realize real quick that, wow, I might, this might not be necessarily what I wanted to do. So going along with somebody is probably a good start. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the, the fact that in Pennsylvania, um, and I feel like this is probably true for a lot of states and provinces in North America. You have, once you set a trap mm -hmm. by law regulation, you have to check it again within 36 hours. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously there, there's a little bit of a fine line in checking it too often. Uh, and then obviously not checking it often enough based on regulations. Right. You, you, you want to, the idea, if, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea is you're trying to check soon enough so that that animal is not trapped any longer than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't want to keep going back every two hours because you need to give (laughs) animals time to actually find that trap. Right, right. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. you know, so that's exactly right. And and that whole regulation of 36 hours, I mean, that is trying to sort of regulate that fine line so that we can be humane and ethical with Mm -hmm. these animals, you know, having an animal for three days in a trap. I mean, that's every single person in the world. Totally unlawful. Yeah. Unlawful, mm-hmm. un, you know, inhumane, um, mm-hmm. unethical. So sure. to be able to, you know, to, to be able to have that time commitment of saying like, okay, I set this trap. I, what am I doing in the next 36 hours? At some point I have to check. And like you said, a lot of trappers are going to be trying to, to check every 24 hours. And oh, mo- most and, trappers that I know do 24 hours or, and, or less. Yeah. And you know what, that, that makes sense because if you were successful, Obviously, the longer that that animal is in that trap, the less, yeah, the less chance, obviously you can't check it, you know, catch another one. So um, you want to try to be judicious with your time in those, especially shortened seasons. All right. We, we've been going for, oh, probably about 40 minutes now. And I feel like I really want to talk about like what gear you need, training, um, how to set traps. But I also feel like we could spend an hour just on that. So for everyone listening, that is your tease. Okay? Dan is going to come back on. I'm going to ha- make sure I find some time to get him back on. Cool. We're going to talk more about how to trap. So sure. look, look for that episode uh, to come out here in the uh, coming weeks and months before that the season great. starts. Uh, so we can yeah. maybe help some people. So to sort of wrap things up today with this sort of like, why is trapping important? Why, you know, how do people get in trapping? All that stuff, all the things that we've talked about. If someone's interested in trapping, what information is out there? Obviously there's YouTube there. I mean, you right. Google trapping in any state or province. I mean, you're going to find all kinds of information, mm-hmm. but in your opinion, like what is the good quality places to find that information? Right. So um, I agree with everything you just said about that, too. You got to be really careful when you Google stuff, because you could be getting a perfectly lawful answer from Illinois or Wyoming or Colorado. But that's not the way it is here in Pennsylvania. And the answer when a game warden catches you that, well, I saw it on YouTube, is not going to cut it. It's just (laughs) not going to cut it. So you need to know what the laws and regulations are. The first thing you need to do is you need to take Hunter Trapper education. You could do it online. It's very simple to do. So you need to do the basic. That is the basics. But our website, the Game Commission website, you can just pgc.pa.gov and click on trapping. There is a lot of information on there. Another really good source would be go to your state trapping association, which is www.patrappers.com. That's a really good site because the information they've got, they've got chats on there. But and those kinds of things are PA specific. Those these trappers are, that are on there are willing to help people. The difference between today and maybe you know 50 years ago was 50 years ago everybody kept their secrets. Nobody would tell anybody anything. That is not the case today. Uh, most trappers are willing to take you along or at least explain to you what and why they do it. Um, and and you really you know I'd I'd love to get together and talk specifically about 
how to, you know, how to trap and what to use because you don't need super expensive stuff. You really don't. You can, you can go crazy, but you don't need to. Um, but you need to know what is lawful. So you want to go to our website and check that out. And then uh, belonging to your state association is really important. I belong to the Pennsylvania Trappers Association. I belong to the National Trappers Association. I belong to Fur Takers of America, um, Ohio Trappers Association, a bunch of different ones. And you know they, they all have magazines or newsletters, which provide you lots of information and the ability to have an email and say, hey, I got a question. I'm not sure about this. Can anybody help me? And you will be inundated with answers. And that's good. That's good. And again, you know, people have their own flair. This is, you know, when someone says, this is the only way you can do something, well, take that with a grain of salt because that's totally not true. But you want to like check, you know, go every year the Trappers Association has what they call a rendezvous. And it's, it's usually in June. Um, and it, it's like five dollars to, to for a car to park to go in. They've got free demonstrations, all kinds of stuff there. It is one of the best ways to do it. It's very, very easy to do that. But you know, the internet's super easy as well. You just got to keep that in mind that the person that you're looking at might might even be from Pennsylvania, but they might be trapping somewhere else. And they're not telling you something that's wrong. They're just telling you, well, here, here I am in. Illinois, and I'm allowed to do this. We're well, not allowed to do that in Pennsylvania. So you need to make sure you can always just contact the Pennsylvania Game Commission. We have a ask the Pennsylvania Game Commission email address, and you could simply do it that way. Um, and uh, you can call any region office and say, can I talk to a game warden or somebody in the, in the Game Commission and ask a question? So make sure that, you know, the, re the listeners, we want to make sure they do it that way as opposed to, well, what's the odds of me getting caught? Because here's the deal. I don't care if you get caught or not. I care that we don't do something stupid that impacts all the rest of us that we can't do regulated trapping the way we're doing it now. It's, you know, it doesn't, there's, there's not that many of us. You know, we were talking about that before we actually started here. And uh, though we sell somewhere between 800 and 900,000 hunting licenses every year, uh, we're about 48,197 resident adult, adult fur takers. That's not how many people trap. By the way, we're the number one state. That's the most of any state. I didn't know that. Been, been that way for years. Out of the 48,000, probably half actually trap. The others hunt fur. So they're predator hunters. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you need a fur taker license to do it. So what's cool is that from 2019 to 2020, all of the numbers, all the licenses in trapping are, are up. Resident junior, resident senior lifetime, disabled veteran, even adult non-resident and adult non-resident junior fur takers. Every single area went up. So it's kind of cool. Um, but still, you're talking 48,000 out of 12.7 million people in this state. 48,000 is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So we need people to make sure that they're following the rules, they're doing it right because it can be stopped very easily. And there are states where it has been stopped, period. Massachusetts, there is no trapping unless you have a permit and it's a nuisance control. They, they eliminate it. They eliminate it. So we don't want that to happen in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
first, all of those links that, you know, and all those associations you were talking about, I'm going to make sure that we have uh, links to all those in the details. So uh, all the listeners out there, if you're interested in any, in looking at over any of that stuff, uh, joining one of those associations, check the episode details. The links are going to be in there. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, that it can be stopped and it has, and I believe it's Arizona uh, just eliminated trapping on public land. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is crazy. Tra- <laughs> trapping is, is often referred to as the low hanging fruit of the sort of hunting trapping mm-hmm. world, right? That's the, one of the easiest ones uh, to generate emotions around to the general public that don't understand sure. what trapping has to offer uh, to be able to get it banned. And, you know, we need to make sure as outdoorsmen, whether you are a trapper or not, um, I, like myself, I currently am not, um, but I understand the importance of it. We need to make sure that we are advocating for trapping. And as you mentioned, you know, in some of your sort of key takeaways and, and key talking points is doing it in the correct way, you know, right. um, making sure that people understand that everything is being done in a regulated, ethical, and humane fashion um, as as humane as possible whenever you sure. are potentially, you know, taking an animal's life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> one thing that we didn't bring up that I, I want to end on is bycatch. And we can get a little bit more into the nitty gritty of bycatch next episode when we talk about the how-to. So what do you mean by bycatch? You mean by, like a, the animal that you're, you weren't targeting? An unintended Yes, ah, an unintended okay, okay. trap. Um, okay. So, you know, a lot of people who don't trap would think like, oh, you're you're on my neighbor's farm. You're trapping for coyote, fox, something like mm-hmm. that. I have dogs. What mm-hmm. if my dogs okay, get so out? you're talking about non-targeted. Cats. Non-targeted so species. The, the, yes. the words are really important because, so for instance, if I catch a raccoon in a fox set, raccoons are in season. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If I don't want it, I'll just put a snare pole on it and I'll release it. If you catch a non-target, meaning somebody's pet. So that, that example that you just gave, if I'm trapping on your neighbor's farm and I have permission there, my answer to you would be your dog shouldn't be on your neighbor's farm. 100%. But here's the deal. But here's the deal. The traps that I'm using are humane. Is the dog gonna be happy? No, not gonna be happy. So I'm gonna put a snare pole on him. If I know he's your dog, I'm gonna call you and have you help me. It's much easier to have two people to get a dog out. One is a snare pole so you don't get bit. And the, the, the traps, the levers on the traps, if, one, if, if I'm holding the dog's head so he can't bite me, I literally can step down on the levers and the dog is loose. The problem now is the dog is loose. Okay, um, so that's why I use a snare pole. So I could walk the dog away if I if I feel like he's going to come after me. I walk him all the way over to my truck. I get in my truck, pop the little spring lever, and boom, he goes. Otherwise, I just like you know I if I know who he is, I'm going to try and let the landowner know. Hey, look, I caught Jason's dog. I was trapping lawfully, but his dog is running loose. So we call that a non-target catch. So it's it's, it's not a, it's not, you know, a fur bear that's in season that wasn't one you were targeting, but it's one like, let's say it's a cat or a dog. Cats and dog, dog, cats are way easier to release. I use a blanket, I throw a blanket over the cat, and then all I do is with my foot is I push 
the blanket up so that the foot is exposed so I don't get bit. Because you don't, I can't blame the cat for wanting to bite, but I'm not, I do not want to get bit by the cat. And then I just press on the levers, flip up the blanket, and poof, there he goes. Um, and I, you know, I try to, as a trapper, I try to, if, if, if you're, if I'm trapping your property and it's someplace new, I say, hey, let me know what you have, dogs, cats, do your neighbors have that kind of stuff? And then I will try to set farther away, okay? On public land, I'm not going to set in a field come pheasant hunting season. That's just, you're just asking for trouble. People don't know that you're trapping there. So we as trappers, even though, yes, quote, we have the right to trap there, we need to use our head as well. And you don't set on trails, rails to trails. You don't set those kinds of things because you're obviously going to have people walking their dogs there. And yes, they're going to be off the leash when they probably shouldn't be. But we need to use our head and move farther into the woods, not trap there, trap there when it's super cold out and there might not be people walking around. But so, yes. But here's the cool thing. If you go to that Pennsylvania Trappers website, they have this really great information on how to release your dog from a trap. And so I teach people that all the time. How do you release your dog from a trap? It's really simple. You don't pull, my goodness, he's not coming out that way. Um, you have to step down on the levers or push down on the levers, but you need someone to control the dog so that it doesn't accidentally bite you. Um, but that's important to know how to do it. And I push that for all trappers that you must have a snare pole because you may never need it, but the day you do need it, a string is not going to work. It's just not going to work. And you know, you can release an animal. Does it, is it, are they, does their foot hurt? Yeah. Um, is it going to be broken or bleeding? Not if you're using the right trap, but it's going to be pinched. I mean, no different than if you had your finger in there, but I mean, I've been trapping since I was 12. I trap in areas that are very, very close to people. I've caught two dogs. One was a German shepherd in the middle of Cambria County in the woods. And one was a tiny little dog that the farm kids let go before I even got there. And I just saw on the track in the tracks on the snow. And I'm like, what in the world? So I followed the tracks back to the farmhouse. The woman came out and I thought she was going to be really upset. I went to apologize. She said, dog shouldn't have been down there and he's fine. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so it worked out pretty good. Those two kids, little kids, they knew how to get the dog out. So we need to teach people, trappers, how to talk to other people and how to tell them if this happens, this is, it's that simple. It's very easy to release one. And, but that's important. We, the, the topic is important. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad, you know, to, that you brought up, you know, sort of what kind of words that I'm using for that? Sure. You know, yeah, because that, I wasn't and, sure what you meant by bycatch. Because I, I think of bycatch in fishing nets. So it's like something you weren't trying to get. Mm -hmm. And it's not you're trying to get a dog. But some people think if you're trapping foxes and you catch a raccoon, that's bad. Uh, wrong answer. Raccoons are, are predators just like foxes mm -hmm. are. And they're attracted to the same bait. If you don't want the raccoon, then let them go. I mean, it, but it's the trapping season. You could harvest the raccoon too. Like, and, and, you know, that's something, what you just said there, I think is what anyone who's listening that is not a trapper should be aware of is that with any of the non-lethal traps, which are the ones that are going to be set on land. Right, uh, exactly. You, if you don't, just because you trap an animal doesn't mean that it has to die. Um, no, it could, it, you could trap, um, you know, you could trap your intended species, but you notice that, you know, it's not as big as I would like it to be, right. or for whatever reason, you can decide, you know what, I'm just going to let that one go. 
I, and, I know trappers who let almost all the female foxes go. And and that's something that I, that a lot of people I feel like don't think about when it comes to trapping is if you are if you are participating in regulated trapping, you it doesn't make sense for these trappers that are regulated trapping to trap mm -hmm. every single animal of that sure. species out of an animal because then right. you can no longer trap that species right, in that sure. area. So you want to leave some of that species there to repopulate sure. and, and keep sure. it going. So, um, you know, it, again, it all, it's this whole conversation is going back to humane and ethical and doing things responsible, doing things legally, <clears throat> doing things responsibly and, you know, enjoying the activity for what it is. Mm -hmm. So Dan, thanks for joining me. Uh, you bet. Like, like I already mentioned, everyone can, uh, can start looking forward to the how to for trapping. Cool. I'd love um, to do that. I'm excited because I have a lot of very rudimentary questions on no how problem. to trap since I've never done it. So uh, everyone else look forward to that. And Dan, thanks for joining me today. That'll do it. Another episode in the book. Thank you to Dan for coming on and talking again. This is part one of a two-parter and thank you for listening. Uh, I really can't express enough just how appreciative I am of all of you that tune in each and every week. Uh, it, it really makes me feel good, as I've said in the past, uh, knowing that there's other people that are interested in the same topics I am. Uh, if you are, just as a reminder, if you are interested in learning more about trapping, you want to check out some of the different associations and information about trapping that Dan was talking about. All of those links are in the episode show notes. That's the Pennsylvania Game Commission, which has some great information on the rules and regulations. The, the PA Trappers Association, the National Trapper Association, and then Fur Takers of America, they all have some great information. It's a great place to start or even just refresh some of your knowledge if you are uh, already a trapper. If you're still hanging on, don't forget, we do now have a Patreon page to help support this podcast and the formation of a nonprofit, Conserve the Wild. So if you want to help be a supporter, even just $1, all the way up to a $20 monthly option, any little bit helps, greatly appreciated. So go ahead and uh, click on that link in the episode notes, patreon.com slash conserve the wild and become a supporter of this podcast and the nonprofit we are trying to build. Until next week, though, make sure you stay wild.